Welcome to episode 15, everybody, on this rainy day here in the Northeast. Before we get started, just one programming note. We are now putting our research, our written research, in your ears for your convenience. So we've started recording every note or blog, whatever we call it these days, and you can download it and listen to it if, if you don't want to read. And I would encourage people to do it. I mean, it sounds weird to listen to someone reading a note um, or the concept of it, but what I found um, is it's actually, you can consume this stuff quicker, especially if you speed us up at to one and a half, as opposed to reading it, you may miss out on some of our charts and some of the funnier pictures that we, that we try and put in there, um, you know, as Easter eggs, but um, <laughs> <laughs> cause I won't describe the funny pictures. <laughs> By the way, on the speed setting, let's be real. If you're listening to me, you probably want to have it on like three X. And if you're hit, you're listening to Rich, you probably want to have it on a half. And for Walt, maybe one point two five. I would say. I think I'm one five. I speak okay. Maybe slowly. Maybe maybe not quickly. One, not very very quickly. Um, so that is our little programming note. Let's move on. It's um, it's a big day for Rich tomorrow. Rich's daughter, Hannah, has her bat mitzvah, and the rest of us here on the Light Shed team will be watching on Zoom. This is actually my second Zoom uh, bar, bar bat mitzvah that, that I've attended. Now, Rich, just as a heads up, the first one, um, uh, our friend at Comcast, Mark Noble, um, his son was reading his Haftorah, and boom, the Zoom went out. Oh. They they lost their thanks. You, th I really appreciate that. That is exactly the type of strong encouragement that I needed for tomorrow morning. <laughs> so just to add a little bit of anxiety uh, for you tomorrow. I so are you guys doing this? Where are you doing this? Are you doing it in the in temple? Home? In the You're temple. actually doing it in the temple. Sure, socially distanced. Uh, we're going to have open cameras because I always appreciate on these things when you have some of the guests that are alone in their homes or apartments wearing masks in the Zoom because you know you never know. You can haze every single person. So everyone's who's open on camera. Zoom. So everyone's going to be on camera. Which uh, again, means, assuming it which works. Means I can dance to the songs because I'll be in my apartment. And, and you can even I, if, and if line. I yeah, let's just do it, Brandon. Come on. We've got big news this week. I think probably, you know, something that I've been waiting for and writing your about. your birthday present? This is a big was, week for you, Rich. This was. This Anna's is my, my your 47th birthday. And the window is being closed down to 17 days from what was it before? 75 days. So this is a That's pretty a monumental a change. Reduction. Jesus. In this one particular deal. Sure, but it's a start. I mean, you always look for the first crack in the ecosystem. And, you know, I think AMC was at the point where, the idea of having no movies from Universal, uh, given how poor the box office is likely to be even when theaters reopen, they needed product. And rather than have no product from Universal, three weekends worth or three weeks worth is still better than nothing. And so I know the, I know the theaters don't like this. This is fundamentally bad. We have another quote here. Uh, this is from Cineworld, which owns Regal, the number two theater company in the US. And I'm just gonna read it. We do not see any business sense in this model. While we don't know the full details, we always analyze any new business decision within the industry. People need to be aware that the first big movie from Universal is not releasing for six months. So there's no pressure here. However, 
We clearly see this as the wrong move at the wrong time. At Cineworld Regal, we are not changing our policy with regards to showing movies only that respect the theatrical window. So there's no pressure, but they had to release a statement. <laughs> no, no pressure. That's a good one. It's amazing. It's amazing. They feel so threatened, and they, these companies. Understood. Look, do, the, do the reality think, is. By the way, just Rich, do you think there was any change to the splits um, that? Were, no, were I think the only the change. Well, we don't know like the exact. I don't think this is about splits. I think this is. There's two things that I think for AMC they're going to start their or they have their own direct to consumer platform so if you want to watch a movie at home amc is going to offer these movies whenever universal puts them on demand that's not really a big deal cuz i don't think many people are going to do that but they're going to get a little taste and i don't know whether what percentage but they're going to get some little taste if you watch this movie and buy it on amazon or buy it on apple they're going to get a small piece of that transaction Again, I have no idea what that number looks like percentage-wise, but that's the that's the incremental kind of thing that was dangled to get them on board. The reality is the consumer is changing. Netflix is gunning their Netflix will be the biggest studio in the world over the next couple of years. The studios, all the legacy studios, need to start adapting and figuring out how they get content to consumers sooner than the Walt's opening question, which was 75 days is ridiculous. People don't understand why a movie that comes out in theaters has to wait 75 days before you can watch it in your home. This is the beginning of that fundamental change. It's a very big deal. It's just one studio and one exhibitor, but it's a start. And it's something we've been How looking for How do you define the biggest years. studio in the world, like most revenue generated by original produced content? How, I was going to do, do it based on most money going into the production of theatrical content what they're paying for it or right. what, about, what about what about most what about most Understood. viewership <laughs> well viewership is probably already the largest right yeah. i mean there's probably more people watching any of i mean more people watch bird box than watch avengers i mean that's just a mathematical not I mean, to be fact. captain obvious but it's just it's another example of scale in tech right i mean sure scale really provides advantage Um, and that sort of leads us into the the next topic which talk about scale and tech you know the fact that facebook grew their arpu so we've got a pandemic that everyone's been talking about how small businesses are hammered people were closed for a month or two you know shelter at home and if you look at this slide what is staggering is that the q2 2020 arpu so average revenue per user in the u.s and canada for facebook went up almost 10% from 32.60 to 35.58. Brandon, that's just mind-boggling. Look, I I think there's a major tailwind for Facebook, which is that even SMBs now are moving to e-commerce and Facebook is the ad platform for for SMBs online. I think the, the stat that Um, really stuck out to me last night from Cheryl was, I think she said a third of SMBs globally now get at least 25% of, of their, of their revenue online. And Facebook is going to be the advertiser uh, of, of choice there. Well, and what, what, what wasn't, which was one of the things that was hard to see happening 
was how so many businesses that were not huge Facebook advertisers stepped in to fill the void. So yes, there were businesses that were totally shut down and scaled back their ad spend during the pandemic, but new businesses, I mean, they called out things like gaming that came in and took the low bid rates. But on top of that, what what exploded over the last 12 weeks, the, the biggest category growth has been e-commerce. Yep. And if you want to sell stuff online and promote that you're selling it, Facebook and probably even more importantly, Instagram is the place you literally have to be to move merch online. Yeah, I and think so, that. And, and obviously you saw it in Shopify's results this yep. week too. The, e- the e-commerce tailwinds are extending well past just traditional kind of online commerce sellers and big retailers. Well, and that's why it's sort of comical. has had to move online. That's why it's sort of comical when when everyone talks about the Facebook ad boycott. I mean, they said that I think the top 100 advertisers are 16% of their revenue. Uh, You know, the reality is the rest of the business is growing so fast because of this explosion in these categories like you're talking about in small businesses, e-commerce, that they're still expecting 10% growth even with an ad boycott they're expecting at least 10% growth in Q3, which just sort of shows you, you know, the perception that Facebook is driven by big brands is just wrong. It's all about these small brands all over, the, these small companies all over the world. Now, those I, charts, I, Brandon, look yeah. also very different than the charts that I saw on Verizon Media. Which <laughs> really well, yeah, in that I direction. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, we should bring. We should have just the other direction. I, I do want to bring up Down another 26. thing with fa- with Facebook. Yep. Um, they tried to keep a cautious tone on guidance, and I think a lot of these COVID beneficiaries, which in in our view, most of them are going to these tailwinds are going to persist. These are just expediting changes that were going to happen anyway. These digital transitions, things going on with gaming, which which we'll talk about now. Um, but there, there has been a cautious tone um, to, to guidance across all these companies. Oh, we don't know what the economy is going to look like, so on and so forth. But the one thing that Facebook seemed to be very cautious on on the callback, especially last night, was on IDFA. What do you, what do you think about IDFA? Do you think Q4 could start to see a problem um, for Facebook because of it? What does IDFA look, I- stand for? For those of us not it's, it's, entrenched it's, in media acronyms, it's basically going to make it more difficult to identify who a user is. So, you know, imagine when you open up your your iPhone, each app is going to basically ask you, "Do you want to share information?" And it's just, it's going to be a constant reminder of the privacy elements. Maybe we just get used to it and you just click yes and you don't really think about it. But to the extent that you click no on an increasing number of apps, it'll be harder to understand who all of us are for these tech platforms. Down to the device level. And I think like 20 20 from the surveys I read, like 20 percent of people said that they would opt into it. So it's going to be a big problem, particularly for retargeting and for app install ads. But. I think overall, maybe it, it actually gives the tech giants yet another advantage um, o- over their competition. 
Well, I think it's like GDPR. It, it creates even more power to the powerful. It makes it really hard for any smaller companies. I mean, Verizon Media, it's really bad for, right? I mean, it's it's really bad for people that live on the, the more of the open web. It makes life more and more difficult from a targeting standpoint. So I worry about it, but I think in the end of the day, the bigger are going to get bigger because of this. To Walt's earlier point, scale has a benefits, and I think it's going to end up actually helping Facebook more than it hurts Facebook. Yeah. It, I asked Verizon this week if they were going to bail on that. If you remember when, when um, Hans took over, there was discussion of them potentially selling it, and they're insisting that, nope, they're sticking with it. Let's move on to, uh, to baseball. Uh, because I know Brandon- My, my you, favorite topic- all sure. right, let's let's pull up the slide. Basically, it looks it looks to me that you have all the positive COVID cases from around the league this week. I think the the Marlins one is the most egregious. They are up to what seventeen or eighteen players out of uh, eighteen I, today. I didn't put the, the updated number, but it's now okay. eighteen as of so today. Eighteen players out of. I think the rosters expanded to 30. So they're not playing any games this week. They're not playing any games this weekend. Um, they had played the Phillies last weekend and uh, no players have tested positive yet, but they had a coach and a clubhouse attendant. And now we've seen a positive test um, from the Cardinals. And look, if baseball decided not to go with the bubble, it seems like the NBA, everything's working out. We haven't heard of any positive test but well, better yet Brandon, every usual, player was tested just does everything wrong well no, every nba player who's in the bubble has tested negative to date so well that's think, yeah that's the point i was making whereas with baseball you have travel occurring there's no controls on where players are spending their time when they're not at the ballpark so that yeah, it's, yeah, just not, me, it's just not no bubble it's also just literally zero protocols Right. Nothing like, oh, who's why are you playing today? I mean, there's no they're basically making it up as they go along. Right. Well, like what if you, if a player is not feeling well, what do you do? And like there it doesn't seem like there's a really good months. set of rules. They had months. Sure. Like, how can they I, I, I honestly don't get it. And then you had um, the suspension of Joe Kelly <laughs> this week for for throwing at a couple of Astros, which was eight games. The, the throwing or the taunting? What I well both really I think they probably hit him for for throwing at him not for did the Houston uh, Astros get eight games for cheating well in the that, World this Series? is exactly the point and the, the Astros got no suspensions for cheating <laughs> none of the players get suspended and you throw at a guy and I don't know eight over sixty um, of of your games a sizable percentage of the season an eighth of the season it, you're out because you hit a guy with a pitch. I believe what you're describing is commonly known as a clown show. Yes. I just incompetence. I wish that like the MLB was a public company so that there could be an activist shareholder that comes in and gets rid of management. <laughs> or just a good short opportunity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Next Rich. Or that. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it sort of all plays into the fact that, you know, this ongoing COVID problem that we're seeing play out in, in sports but, you know, Walt, you flag this um, Instagram post from a uh, looks like a travel agent who was walking around Universal. And to, she writes, to give you some perspective, I've toured here multiple times over the years for conferences and stayed with my family before during Easter week. Ride times and peak travel can average 90 minutes. 
Yesterday, we walked on to every ride. Longest wait is because of social distancing and the staff requires each passenger to have. And she goes on and on. But the point is, you can look at the pictures and it's literally empty at Universal Studios. Literally. <laughs> literally empty. We've got Disney yeah, I watched, offering. I looked at a lot of her pictures. Disney, um, Universal, both. It's just, you know, there's just no lines. It looks awesome. No, nobody's I, uh, with- there. Walt Walt said this week we were talking about travel and whatnot that he's dying to go to Disney. He thinks this is a once nice in a life of word. <laughs> I was going to say it's a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity say, as well yeah. to go a, into the a, park. A I mean, once look, in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. You could go. There's no lines. It's it's the type of treatment you get if you go to the Disney Analyst Day at the parks, which Wait is minute, something Rich, that we're never going to gonna be able to, to do. Disney again. Analyst Day. <laughs> I have not been invited to a Disney Analyst Day. Is since, it even that empty since, for the since Disney 2015. Analyst Day? I I went to the one at the parks last time and it was pretty awesome you could you could go on space mountain over and over and over again there's no lines it's amazing and i would highly recommend it if that's what's going on at the parks now if you have the tolerance for potential death but but let's just but let's just but let's let's keep death aside for a second guys let's just keep keep math on let's focus on math uh, magic kingdom holds fifty five thousand or does fifty five thousand people on an average day has capacity of ninety thousand Disney was trying to cap attendance somewhere around nine to 12,000 a day with all of their reservation systems. And they're literally getting less than 4,000 people a day to show up, mostly California residents, sorry, Florida residents who are driving. There's just no, there's no demand to go to Florida right now. And I think that's the problem. And I don't think that's ending anytime soon. And so the question is going to be, do you keep the parks open and just bleed cash do you start condensing and only having one or two parks open at a, at a time to condense attendance? I think layoffs are going to be huge because like this is not getting better anytime soon. Florida's got a real problem and it's not just Disney or Universal. There's a real problem with theme parks right now in terms of getting people to want to go. Except Walt. Well, uh, first of all, well, Walt's family go. doesn't want to go, so <laughs> exactly. it doesn't really matter. Uh, Walt true. would have they to go alone. Go. Rich, I've got a suggestion. If you want to get back to that Disney analyst day, there was a good example of what to do on today's charter call when an analyst said, these results are exceptional. Well done. So 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 I should just brown nose. I should just brown nose. And really tell them, well done. that That sounds like Rich Greenfield. Yeah, I think that's not happening anytime soon. Maybe if Rich is doing the Netflix earnings interview. There was another good one on the Apple, but that charter comment really took the cake this earnings season. All right. So uh, are, are we on. getting a new iPhone? Are we getting a new iPhone? Well, and when? Well, the tweet that is being shown for the podcast listeners are, there you have it, Apple, which is on the call last uh, last night. Um, Apple confirms iPhone delay of a few weeks. Not really a huge surprise. The issue here, though, is... At the start of the year, prior to Corona really hitting, everyone was saying this was going to be the super cycle and 5G was going to drive it. And then there was kind of like, okay, Verizon doesn't really have the spectrum. So they're doing the technology stuff, which we talked about before. Like, So what is and how does this play into advertising? Like Verizon, I think, has pulled back on advertising. A couple of weeks doesn't really make a difference. You're not going to see anything in Q3. But if it's a couple of weeks, you're going to see a big push because these guys want to fight for customers during this iPhone launch. I still don't think that the 5G iPhone itself is necessarily going to generate some super cycle, 
but this is an opportunity for share gains and loss. And what we saw in the, in the Q2 report is the cable operators continue to gain traction, a little less so on Comcast, but Charter had phenomenal uh, wireless ads in this quarter. So their ability to maybe use this iPhone event or maybe T-Mobile, just you know, fresh off the Sprint purchase, maybe they come in. It theoretically should be a more competitive environment in the fourth quarter with more advertising dollars around this iPhone. So whether it's a couple of weeks, I don't think we're, we're talking about um, the phone pushing out to next year. So what's your best prediction for when we actually see the big Apple event? Is it in early October? Again, they just said it's a couple of weeks. So I don't know, you know, to me, it really doesn't make a difference if it's mid-September or mid-October. Like the bigger wave here is you've had five or six years where upgrade cycles have been extending and upgrade rates are going down. So is this the inflection point of going the other way? It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to hit this super cycle like we saw with the iPhone 6, but any type of inflection the other way is going to be positive for a company that already just put up a great quarter because people are buying iPads and Macs like there's no tomorrow as they're stuck at home. I've already bought one in during COVID, so I've added to that for sure. Uh, let's the talk iPhone, about- By the way, Rich, just to- Yeah. My thesis a little bit longer. I mean, look, the iPhones, upgrade cycle coming back, people buying iPads and Macs. That services number though- uh, decelerated again. So the year over year growth is now below 15%. So this whole real the thesis is in terms of the recurring revenue business, and they're not giving us any data in terms of what the install base is. We're getting subscriber numbers and things like that. And that's pacing nicely. But you know, on the services side, it wasn't necessarily a, a phenomenal story for Apple, which it's hard to take knocks at on the well, stocks up, whatever it is, six or 7% today on, on sure. the unit purchases. But, but, but no, no update on Apple TV plus no update on Apple music since middle of last year. Nothing on I mean, Apple they, News. Like no, we know nothing. No one's asking, right? Because the it's, revenue beat was so big on the iPhones and the Macs and the iPad and the and the um, iPads that you know it kind of pushed this what's going on in the services businesses uh, into the background. And, and look, and I also think part of it, right, with with school probably being at least partially remote. I mean, we just Miami Dade, and we're seeing more and more school districts go remote or partially remote. There's going to be a huge need for devices in the fall as well, just like there was in the spring. Yeah, set up for Macs and iPads. And um, and again, iPhone 5G, more ads, just velocity in the network. Um, again, unit numbers should be great. It's the question, services, like if it's not great, then who really cares? Because at the end of the day, the iPhone is really what generates all the profits for that company. Maybe it'll generate more cloud storage needs. I just got tagged on that this week. I ran out of cloud storage space, so now I have to pay $10 a month. <laughs> kind of sad about it. <laughs> so the other really big news, and I'll, I'll throw this to Walt and Brandon in a second, but the, the other really big news was obviously seeing all four tech CEOs testify for a long, long time on Wednesday. Uh, tied to that, though, there was lots of debate um, over sort of app store fees and deals that are being cut. And, you know, Walt, why don't you just read this? Because it obviously ties to Apple specifically. But there's been a lot of debate over sort of the power, how much power these big tech platforms have. And they also, in these hearings, well, mostly useless, there were some interesting emails that were surfaced um, as part of the investigation prior to the hearings. And this is referring to an email um, between um, Jeff Bezos, and I, and I believe this was Eddie Q. Um, now we know how Apple convinced Amazon to finally put Prime Video on the App Store in 2017. Apple agreed to only take 15% of revenue from Prime Video subscriptions made on iOS versus the 30% they, 
they were taking from others. So the typical the typical deal is they would charge 30% year one, then it gets cut to 15% thereafter. <laughs> there was a lot of kind of swapping back and forth, but it basically well, Amazon got it so there was 15% starting in year one. I think that 15% change actually came for the second year, came after that Amazon deal. So at the time that they did that Amazon deal, that was, that was you know, a, a, 30% in perpetuity. Yeah, yep. it was a big difference compared to what everyone else was getting. We know Netflix also gets preferred terms. Uh, so, so this is a thing. And there are a, a lot of um, app developers and, and bi- online businesses that are upset about it. And that, I guess, takes us to our next tweet, which is from Tim Sweeney, uh, who runs Epic. Uh, it pains me to complain about Apple in this way. Apple is one of the greatest companies that has ever existed, perhaps the greatest that ever is or would be. What was that line from Game of Thrones? Anyway, but they're fundamentally wrong in blocking competition and choice on devices they make. And that holds up entire fields of technological progress. This is a critical consideration in these 30% fees. They come off the top before funding any developer costs. As a result, Apple and Google make more profit from most developers' games than the developers themselves. That is terribly unfair and exploitive. You know, the flip side is, is that, you know, you have plenty of apps that are free to play and don't cost anything to download and leverage the app store and leverage the app store's distribution at no cost to building the phones or the ecosystem that enables them. And so the, the, you, the question is, does this stifle innovation? That, that's, and the other, the that's other thing, the that, like Cook's response is basically, well, you can go and put your apps, the developers can go and put their apps somewhere else. True, but really, it's a duopoly, right? They've split the market, and when you've got two guys, like it's like having gas stations across. Yeah, the street rational from each other. duopoly with the exact, with basically sure. the exact same terms. Yeah, so, I, well, it, it, it they're not going to ever cut because they don't want to get into essentially a, a price war. Uh, sure, of any and, guy. and is that really going to at the end of the day? Is that really going to shift share one way or another? In terms of, I mean, look, we Probably not that. to switch topics to something I obviously love to talk about, but like we can't even get people to switch off a of Roku to Apple TVs, you know, based on what apps are on there or not on there. I mean, the phone is probably even yeah, stickier. The, ph- the phones, the phones are ridiculously sticky. You know what the the switching right. rates are? They're right. So let's say, so let's say, let's say infinitesimal, literally. Right. So let's say Android cut it down to fifteen percent or ten percent or whatever the number is, and it's not going to happen unless unless it's it's forced by the government. And yeah, I get it. I, I think that if these app store fees didn't exist or were smaller, it would make other business models more viable. And you probably would see some additional um, uh, development on mobile. But guess what? <laughs> I mean, they well, maybe someone should just develop better apps that don't require the app store, like browser type apps, right? I mean, that's... But, but hold on. I mean, the other piece of this, right, is the vast majority of Apple's services revenue probably comes from games, fees on gaming. Is I don't know about that, mass, Rich. I mean, they're getting I think it's a massive piece, Google isn't it? Search, you, no, well, I don't cloud. It's the, I mean, it's, it's the biggest piece of... We know it's the biggest piece of app store revenues. 
right? Absolutely. That's, revenue. that's services revenue. Yeah. Services revenue also includes an that ten dollar charge phone. a month that I have to pay. Yeah, and the allocation you pay a thousand dollars for a phone, and they're allocating X dollars from messaging, whatever. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that like this is the driver of Apple's App Store revenue. It's just a huge, true. sorry, it's a huge piece, I guess is what I, what right. I should have said. It's a huge piece of the pie sure. that makes it very hard to just say, I'm going to like get rid of it tomorrow or cut it in well, half But again, tomorrow. more importantly, not going back to what I said earlier, right now they're going to get a pass because device sales are across the board good. But if you remember not long ago when all, all hardware stuff was slowing, this was the piece everyone was focused on, services. It was the growth engine and it was the high margin thing. It's recurring. That was what's getting the higher multiple. And, you know, so it's still important. Obviously, unit numbers are not going to say this strong forever. So services is ultimately what's going to drive value for this company. So it's, it's, it's important. So they're going to hold on to this pretty tightly. The other big part of the hearing was um, a, a pretty good um, attack directly on Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook documents that were basically showing that a, a big piece of, uh, first of all, that Facebook was developing apps to replace competitors um, and then on top of it or copycat competitors and then also using that as in, in their minds, at least in the, the Congress's mind, as a way to basically drive acquisitions of these companies that we're either going to copy you and replace you or you're going to sell to us was essentially what you know, Congress was essentially threatening. And who didn't you know, we've know got, Facebook was doing that though? I mean, did well, we really I, I, need the hearings for this to come out? We know exactly uh, what happened um, with Snap. It's not the first to, first time that we've heard this. Calcanis actually did a podcast, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago, where he, he talked about the risk you run in having Facebook look at a private deal <laughs> or getting in bed with them in general. Now, and we talked about this when Shopify did the Facebook deal, like they have massive scale and unlimited funds and they can use you and then copy you and then spit you out. So, so I, I get it. Let me push back on this a little bit. Okay. okay. So, cause I also remember when Instagram was announced and they were getting ridiculed by people. Oh my God, I can't believe you're paying a billion dollars for a company that has X number of users. So now everyone's a genius looking back 2020. And then also on the emails, well, it was also funny how at the end, the last email that Zook sent, he was like basically covering his ass saying like, oh yeah, this is not a, you know, it's not a competitive market. But if you look at the first email, he also pointed out that like, look, taking out Instagram was killing, a, effectively killing a competitor early. However, he also said like, let's just be cognizant of the fact that another one, another guy could just pop up. It's not like it doesn't uh, assure their future that buying Instagram was going to be it. But, but let me again, emphasize they were ridiculed for paying a billion dollars for Instagram. There are, and, and as the congressperson, I think on the right had, had mentioned, there are, there are antitrust laws in place that could have been used at that time to stop them from making that acquisition. I don't know why you need new laws. No one thought it was an issue at the time. So to look back 2020, and and like and criticized, I think yeah, is, you is a bit unfair. You can't do that. And they got criticized even more for the WhatsApp <laughs> acquisition, right? But I also want to push back that I think Same you know rep, rep, Representative Jayapal, who who was do, leading the questioning on this, the part that bothers me the most is that we have seen companies innovate and flourish. I mean, Snapchat, TikTok. Right. I mean, these are companies TikTok, that are right. uh, look. The, the, actually, the crazy thing is, is who's the fastest growing company in terms of DAUs in the space? 
it's Twitter. They're not the biggest, but they're growing the fastest. And so this idea that nobody else can flourish, nobody else can grow seems a little absurd when you've got so many examples. Is Facebook getting stronger? There's no doubt about it. Facebook is incredibly powerful, as we showed in the first slide, talking about earnings. But the idea that nobody else can really innovate and create real businesses does seem to be false. And I'd say, actually, a lot of the things Facebook's tried to copy, many of them just haven't worked. I mean, we've seen repeated attempts. I mean, Facebook tried to copy Snap's photo messaging. Remember where they broke out DM last year? I forget what the app was even called, but you know, it died within a couple of months. No one was using it and it's DOA. And so those Instagram you know, AR filters are pretty crappy too. They don't, <laughs> no one uses them. Consider, they don't even line up with your face. They had, we got, look. I, oh, sorry, I wanted these, they had these ones for some, which was great targeting. I got all these little pen filters a couple of weeks ago and I was like all trying them on and everything. And none of them fit like like they they did like a cap and gown and it wasn't even on my head. It was like, you sure that isn't a diet issue over the last X number of weeks? I think Brandon looks great. Look, can we go back to the global? I do do look great. The global impact here. Rich, Jesse said you looked fat on TV the other day. Here we go. (laughs) Can we go back to actual the work? Yes, we're going to is hold on. No, we're not going on. Okay, We're, we're talking about also the fact that this is a global competition that these companies are in. So Facebook and other American companies scale is limited in terms of what they can and can't do in China. So to the extent that we're limiting the scale of our com- our companies in this country, there is a more global picture that we have to look at, look at here in terms of what that means. That's I an did. awesome point. And nobody talks about the fact that you know, there is a need for these companies to get as big and powerful because they're fighting companies from China that are big and powerful. And we're not allowed, we meaning the U.S. companies are not, these companies are limited in how those apps are used. It could be for different reasons, right? For, you know, effectively controlling the information of it. But the reality is it it prevents them from getting the scale that they need to compete. And then there's no limits coming the other way. (laughs) So, I mean, again, that has to be a part of the equation when the DOJ looks at these types of things. Agreed. And look, remember, nobody thought there was an antitrust issue when that was, when this deal happened. Now, I don't remember anyone bringing it up that there was really a fear of antitrust at all. Let's talk. And, um, hold on. And, and not to belabor that point, but other companies that were also looking to get scale in this business that are now scrambling, buying up crap stuff like, you know, Verizon buying Yahoo. Have the opportunity. I love it. Had the opportunity. They could have bid a billion five. They could have bid a billion five. So <laughs> since Zook had the foresight to know that this was truly going to be a competitor and the other people out there that claim to be in media and can't figure that out, like you're penalizing them for that. I don't know. And to dude. be fair, though, if, if Verizon had bought Instagram, it would have been shut down by now. That's what you know, <laughs> I, I mean. Well, same benefit, I guess. Yeah. What's next? Okay. So staying on regulatory issues is here's another one. Uh, The Senate is freezing um, the nomination of FCC Commissioner Mike O'Reilly over one issue, Legato. You had five FCC commissioners, Democrats and Republicans voting in favor of this. You had their engineering group, you know, approving it. And yet you have one guy basically holding up the entire process of an FCC commissioner. And frankly, 
if they have a non-functioning FCC, they have that section 230 that they had, that they kind of roll back to the FCC. So like, he's just going to Why stop. is he so focused on this? Like, what is the, what's the rationale for being so focused on overturning a 5-0 Rich, vote? I don't want to get involved in terms of what motivates different polit- specific politicians to come out on one issue one way or another, but let's just leave it at, there is one politician holding up the confirmation of an, of an FCC commissioner over a one issue item that could obviously, you know, throw a wrench in the works in, in terms of what the FCC needs to do more broadly. And, and just a great example of kind of how nothing gets done in DC and how everything and, is slow. And more importantly, Legato has been at this for 10 years. It's every engineer I talk to say it's a necessary piece of spectrum that could like the C-band auction, which more people are focused on. That's a 30, 40, $50 billion auction. If this Legato spectrum is paired with it, it could make things happen faster and quicker. There's value there, but and, and they've been working at this for, for a long time. And, and again, you just have politics kind of getting in the way of progress. I guess in shocking to nobody, EA crushed numbers. Yeah. I mean, this was, first of all, we know that video games have been in media and entertainment, probably the biggest. Uh, Not probably. Not probably. They have been the biggest beneficiary of COVID. Obviously, on the e-com side, you have that also. Um, this was also well telegraphed when they they did a little analyst event right right around what would have been E3 and to talk about their new games and so on and so forth. And at the end, they said that they destroyed numbers this quarter. So everyone knew it. That's why the stock is kind of flat today. But there were a couple of key takeaways on the sustainability of what's going on in games. And they said that uh, ultimate team numbers were up, I think, 70% year over year. But the new players that have come in are monetizing like older cohorts, number one. And number two, using the... Why? Why do they think that is? and also using the social networking um, aspects of the game, the social pieces, which probably means that they're going to be here longer lasting and be here to stay. Why specifically are, are they monetizing? I don't think they know rich. I don't think we know except that. I mean, clearly they're deeply involved in games if, if they're paying and, and they're, they're paying pretty continuously if they're monetizing like the the, the larger cohorts. So I, I just think there's... When the, we there's, talk there's, about this like sort of step function um, increase in what in, in player engagement, that's great for now, but we need to figure out in 2021 what the numbers look like then. And does do these trends last? I think that's a very good sign. Obviously, engagement isn't going to stay where it is, but if the overall player base is elevated, and and generally you're taking share in entertainment, it bodes well for the industry. And to that point, we we raised our price target earlier in the week on Activision. Um, we kind of we looked at the trends that are happening now and. Uh, even if you take, you have a real deceleration in growth through the back half of the year, um, you're going to you're going to destroy street numbers a- across the whole industry. But but look, the, the thing that we've learned over the last couple of weeks, right, is that 
we're going to probably be working from home remote for a long time. I mean, Google's yeah. now saying next That's, summer. Yeah. I've heard more and more of the banks are saying next summer. Uh, schools are going remote. Schools are going part-time remote. If we're all going to be home literally through, I did that for you guys, literally. through the end, through the middle of next year, it just feels like gaming, which has already been the biggest beneficiary media entertainment wise in COVID the gains are going to persist and the engagement's actually going to be better than people think. Yeah. And I think well, it should be a wake up call to, to media companies that the, the pressure from gaming isn't going to abate anytime soon. It's going to be really significant over the course of the next it's, full it's, 12 months. Rich, it's too late for the media companies at this point. I mean, like you talk about like wanting to buy stuff um, potentially, first of all, you have to buy something, then you have to integrate it. Sure. Right. And the other interesting thing that EA said in the call, because they were asked about assets for sale, you know, the analyst was talking about Warner and Warner, Warner brothers, the the video game division to be clear. Yeah, obviously. Um, they, they said that, uh, these competitors haven't suffered the way um, they had hoped they would. Number one, is in order to get a good deal, and number and number two, the ass are huge because because numbers are good, and so that's going to hold up M and A activity probably in the sector. I mean, the prices. No one wants the kind of top tick valuations. Um, so. So you don't think that deal happens because I don't think AT&T. Well, first of all, we don't even know is, is AT&T selling or not selling. I, I mean, we it, know I, my guess we know is they've hired you, bankers and other right, people. My guess is make me an offer I can't it. refuse. It's like, you know, give me give me my big price. They're not there's no gun to their head to sell. It's if there's a great price, they would sell. There's a lot of there's as we've talked about before, there's a lot of things that AT&T has on their plate right now like if someone wants to pay them a lot of money for games, great. If they don't, not the end of the world for that company. Am I getting a new broadband company, Walt? Am I going to be using 4G in my home? Rich, this was like kind of, first of all, for Verizon to drop this in the middle of earnings was a little (laughs) irritating, but I know there's more people out there than us analysts that are dealing with earnings, but literally right in the, literally, (laughs) God, drink every time we say literally. Um, Literally. In the middle of earnings, Verizon, it's basically a couple of markets, but it's home internet. Uh, oh, my Siri just activated. Hold on. Um, it's a couple of markets. It's what's interesting is you remember now it's two years ago, Verizon launched 5g with millimeter wave spectrum in Sacramento and didn't go well. Right. Um, haven't heard much of it since. So this is again, broadband for your home. It's LTE, not 5g it's mid band and low band spectrum, not millimeter wave spectrum. It's unlimited. So we've talked before about like, oh, who's going to do wireless? Who's going to hit your 50 gig bucket? There's no, there's no throttling after a certain amount. Granted, you're not going to get, you know, fiber or really great broadband speeds, but 25, 50 megs down compared to maybe what some people are getting. I'm on a Comcast connection right now that's getting three megabits of uplink. Hopefully you, can, you, you look pretty seven. good though. You look pretty good. It's working great. I've told everyone to shut down their computers, so we've optimized the, the connection. Um, but look, it's it's wireless broadband competition. Also, earlier in the week when AT&T reported, um, Stanky got up there and said, like, look, I just don't think wireless is going to be a competitor for broadband. So it's an early thing. It's it's targeted at, at 
perhaps a DSL customer or maybe someone that doesn't even have access to DSL. So it's, it's early stages, but it's, you know, it's interesting. Pricing's not terrible. 60 bucks a month um, for unlimited. If you're a Verizon wireless customer, it's 40 bucks a month, um, again, for unlimited usage. So it's, it's the start of, you know, what may or may not turn into competition for a broadband business that if you look at the reports on Charter and Comcast, had really good ARPU growth. Again, Comcast was a little squirrely, right? Because somehow RSNs impacted the, the data ARPU. I don't know how that exactly works. Maybe you can explain that to me, Rich. But, but overall... We'll, we'll um, do a separate podcast for that. <laughs> ARPUs are rising for broadband. So that should attract competition, whether it's wireless or fiber overbuild. We've got Howard... Um, Howard went into Sirius, Howard Stern went to Sirius, I think back in 2006, Brandon, leaving CBS radio and what was essentially one of the real groundbreaking deals. And I remember when Joe Rogan announced he was going to Spotify, the first thing you said when we talked is this is Spotify's, right, this is Spotify's Howard Stern moment. But Howard's deal with Sirius for his new content, not his catalog, but his new content actually expires at the end of this calendar year. What do you think happens? Look, I mean, clearly there's trepidation uh, from from the market uh, in terms of what the outcome is on this, especially because Spotify has gotten so aggressive. Uh, Siri put up an amazing quarter yesterday, and it didn't get much love um, uh, fr- from the market and talking to clients, you ask them, like, what held it back? Well, uncertainty around Howard. I personally, the way I heard the commentary from, from Jim Meyer yesterday was that they know, he said they know what Howard wants and they're going to, they're in negotiations and this is no different than the prior three negotiations. It seemed to me, he also said that we'd have something to say on it by the next earnings call seemed to me like they're going to get something done here that it's just easier for Howard to stay. They'll give him whatever flexibility that they need to give him. I don't think it matters how many times a week or even a year Howard's on um, as, as long as he gives some original content and the they only, can still the, use the, it for marketing. I, the I, only I wild card saying, is look the only wild card I'd say, and I asked Dan Eck this question on the Spotify call you know, why would somebody like Howard want to be on Spotify? And the answer was essentially global scale, right? I mean, yeah, Spotify 100%, reaches... 100%. That is the biggest limitation that Siri has, um, number one, in uh, in all of their ambitions. And they're competing with other platforms that are that are global in nature. That's That's a that's a problem. It reminds me of like when you compete against Netflix now in terms of their yep. ability to buy content globally, you can pay more because of that global scale. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Howard would be far more culturally relevant if he cares. He may not care anymore. He may be too old and too, but he's an amazing interviewer. He's probably the, one of the best interviewers in America today or in the world today. Or if ever. he wanted to, <laughs> right. If he wanted to reach an incredible global audience. My mom would probably say Barbara Walters, but you know. Yeah. I think I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's so crazy. The numbers, who knows? Siri, you're right, can pay virtually any amount of money because it's so important to them. But if you want to be part of what the new wave is, and Howard did that with satellite radio for sure, if you want to be part of the the, the next wave in audio, 
Spotify would be an interesting way to do that. And we'll see, I guess, over the course of the next three months, what happens. It's going to be important. This is going to be a wild one to watch, I think. Does Howard translate globally? We don't is know because he's. I don't think he's ever tried. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Okay, let's wrap up with my one of the, your favorite topics, Brandon, which is Vince McMahon. How how do we want to play this? Do we play the audio first, or how you want to set the set it up? You first? know, I, let, let's just talk about our initiation on WWE from earlier in the week. Um, we set it straight up. We knew they were going to blow earnings out yesterday. Uh, I think that most of our competitors didn't understand what the cost structure looked like in the pandemic. And the fact that they're actually financially events with no fans, events with no fans. And they did a significant amount of furloughs and they stopped investing, which net, net, net makes the EBITDA base better than if we were in a non COVID world. Right. So they crossed earnings. The big problem that, WWE has is ratings are in absolute free fall. I think three of the last four weeks, they put up the lowest ever ratings that they've had on raw. Some of it is despite no competition, no sports, no competition. competition. And now you, you have the NBA and NHL and baseball all kind of kicked in. Um, and look, we're not going to minimize the impact of COVID it's reaction entertainment um, but their ratings trouble started far before that. And we're worried because, you know, come next couple of years when they have to get back to the negotiating table with NBC and Fox, who is responsible for, for most of their EBITDA at this point, they're going to be in a weaker position. And given NFL expenses and declining affiliate fees. I don't know that Fox and NBC are going to be in position to pay them more. So they need to get ratings right. And we we asked Vince about the ratings troubles on the call yesterday. Long setup. Why do you think AEW and NXT have bounced back better from the initial COVID shock than Raw and SmackDown? I think some of those are new something that's new uh, and what have you, and it's up to us to make Raw and SmackDown feel more useful. Uh, that is where we're going. Um, and I just, as far as continuing on, I said what was new and building characters, you always have to build characters uh, constantly. And it seems to me that, you know, as far as all of that helping out on Raw and SmackDown, uh, that happens. It's all hands on deck in terms of uh, all that we do. As far as Paul Hayman is concerned, uh, he did a, I thought, a very, very good job uh, in terms of their creativity. So they don't know what to do. That, I, essentially, that's that's the case right now. I I, I don't, I don't buy that the collection of words meant. There was like <laughs> words that were kind of said in some type of sequence. Like, what the hell was he just talking about? <laughs> What was that? That was an answer? Did you edit that? No, that was just straight up. I I actually, I would have followed up and pressed him on his answers, except honestly, when I was sitting there on the call, I I said, I was like, I don't even know what this guy is saying right now. He did throw in a very, very, a very, very quickly. (laughs) That was not a very, very quickly answer, but those words, I don't know. But Brandon, your point is basically, look, 
ratings are going in the wrong direction. Competition is building. Yeah. They don't have a clear answer to ratings and renewals are not that far away to be thinking about. And if re- renewals are not good, the stock's in trouble. I mean, that's really the problem, no matter how much cost which, which, you do. Which is why we actually, and we've been waiting forever to put an official rating on WWE. And we kind of had to get something out there because just for participation on calls and stuff, they were giving some trouble. But um, the, the bottom line is cost cutting is, is not a future for this company. It's and not a growth strategy. It's, it's not a long-term well, growth strategy. No, here. it's, and costs are going to rationalize when in a post COVID world uh, also, and the entire future of this company, or at least the medium term future is going to come down to whether or not they can get step ups on their, on their next renewals domestically and internationally for Raw and SmackDown and that's going to come down to engagement. And engagement's bad now because the content isn't good and they need to fix it. I don't know what the solution is, but one thing's for sure, they need stars. They haven't been able to develop any high-end stars in years. They've kind of put their eggs in the Roman Reigns basket, hasn't fully panned out, and they haven't even built the second level of stars. And then they complain when there's, when there's injuries. They need to get younger. And they they probably need in sort of an injection of creativity into what they're doing. It doesn't sound easy, honestly. No, and and it, you know, look, we've supported this company. They've done a lot of great stuff over the years. Um, direct to consumer, they were early to it. Yep. Um, they've done an amazing job on on social and digital. You use that better than. You know, 99% of the media companies that we dealt with, but their, their crown jewel asset needs fixing and they got to get to it. Nobody commented on my t-shirt today. I mean, I've got my Peloton Century Club t-shirt on and nobody seems to care. I don't know what I the mean, Century Club is. Why don't you tell it, me- it means I ride a lot of Peloton and they send you a t-shirt when you get to 100 rides, uh, they send you a t-shirt. You don't seem excited, but but I'm so proud of you, Rich. This almost makes up for the fact that you drove us crazy because you shut your internet off in the city to save like seventy dollars. I went on seasonal when I moved. When <laughs> and then I moved freaked to out when, when you came back to, I, yesterday, and it wouldn't turn on. Going seasonal, I will never do it again. I have I, learned my lesson. I will never, ever do it again. It was too complicated to turn it back to regular. So I learned my lesson. And the hard there's way. another example of how the ISPs can get their broadband ARPU up. Yes. <laughs> that is a great way to end. I, I, think, I think it's called managed dissatisfaction, your yes. favorite term. <laughs> have a great weekend, well, everyone. Hopefully, everyone has a very satisfactory weekend and mazel tough to you, Richard. Thanks, guys. Later.